Altitude's undefeated. Crap, we will punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and started to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi in Red. It is Tuesday, October 17th, 2023. Canonically, we are podcasting on the day of the final battle in Endgame in which the Avengers defeated Thanos. Uh, so rest. Uh, you can rest now, Tony Stark. Rest in peace. Hailstorm and switchbacks are in the USL playoffs. Uh, Navajo finally broke his Brazilian duck, and the USMNT is, at time of recording, currently blowing out Ghana. But I'm sure USMNT Twitter is still upset about something. Decision day is this Saturday, and the only decision that Rapids fans have to make is what we are doing with all the time off that we will now get as the rapid season has functionally been over for a while joining me now a man who is no longer the only man of his household rabbi mark goodman it's true uh i was also gonna note that uh i think adrian healy was on the call on uh saturday and called him navarro um but i think it was uh, navarra and then he was also saying Raphael. so um rafael rafael navarro navarro yes and, and but Kaylin Carr got it, said it, said it. It's interesting. I've always found that interesting that um, British announcers like seem to get some kind of passes on some of the pronunciations of both Brazilian and like French names. I feel like sometimes they get the French names, but they seem to like miss the Spanish names. Maybe that's what it is. But, um, Portuguese and Spanish names. Uh, don't always kind of land, but I might be nitpicking and I'm mostly happy that we had, I think it was Adrian Healy, but I, I really, um, I was glad to finally get him. I don't know that the Rapids have been called by him. Didn't, didn't make the game that much better, but, but we'll talk about that. You wanted to ask about the bar mitzvah. Yeah. My, my son is a man, um, uh, in Judaism or in the, in the Jewish world, there's a running joke where we say today I am a fountain pen. Um, another joke that, that is, uh, is uh, and and nobody got him a fountain pen because it's not 1955 anymore. Um, but there's a, an old tradition of getting people uh, fountain pens for the bar mitzvah. I don't know what my kid would do with a fountain pen. Um, I don't think he'd even know what it was. Um, but there's another tradition of of uh, there's an old joke uh, that goes: Today I am a man. Tomorrow I return to the seventh grade. So you know, <laughs> um, yeah, it was it, it it was a it was a good time. I'm glad you were there, Matt. Matt, it was so so cute. He dressed up for Skype. He he dressed up for Zoom. Despite not having, there was no video on our end, Mark, and I don't know if you saw what? as well. Or the I I chose to not be on video because oh, I didn't oh, want to be yes. that to no, be. No, but you send the picture. That's right. Yes, yeah, so I, I I got my uh, I got on my kippah that I got from the Jewish wedding from the very good friend who got married in Chicago in twenty eighteen. 
if nice. I'm remembering that correctly. So I, I would have liked Mark to get one of the commemorative key paws that was had. I should point out the... There the was one, none. There, were, there, there were was no none? Okay. The, the ones no that they have that are just giving out, Mark, are not quite as nice. And maybe this is a function of my hair and the way it sits and everything. It doesn't sit well on product. I washed it the morning of, did not put any product on it. But the, the ones that have a little bit more elasticity or a little bit more coverage, like the one that you were wearing, or the ones that are not quite beanies, but you know what I mean in everything. Everything. Um, you know, the 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 nice yarmulkes out there are certainly much better than any of the ones that I have worn that are just part of the communion or the... That's why we didn't give one away, because the fake leather ones that are given out never fit heads neatly. You have, like, those are really weird because they have, like, a one head-shaped sh- head style, and they don't fit all, so they, like, poke up. And then there's the, like, uh, basically uh, the polyester, like, knit ones that are, like, made in China for three cents a piece. You can give those out at a bar mitzvah, but they're not, like, they're kind of, like, tacky and classless. And so we were just like, forget it. We're not going to do that. We're not giving out kippas. Um, we didn't really give out much commemorative. We, we did give out one thing commemorative, which I'll try and save for you, which was the receptionist at work. This is a fun story. I hope I don't get her in trouble for it. The receptionist at work said, do you, you know, I make candy bars. Do you want me to make one? And I was like, yeah, sure. So she takes, like, whatever candy you want, like Kit Kat bars or Snickers, and she'll print out um, a label in the colors you want. So we went with burgundy, of course. Mm-hmm. And the theme, the theme of the bar mitzvah was burgundy, um, the theme color. And then, um, and then she prints, like, Iggy's name on it and, like, you know... The like in- ingredients in the back are like 100% family, 100% fu- lo- love, 100% fun, yada, yada, yada. Um, and Iggy's picture was on the, the candy. And then she kind of wraps them. So she like, you know, covers, you know, like gets the paper around there and then uses tape. And of course, she does all this while working at her job at the synagogue. Um, she does it on synagogue time. She prints the paper on synagogue paper. And she uses the color printer. So, like, basically, materials and equipment and time are 100% not hers, and she does it anyways. So it's kind of like a sideline gig. Um, I'm not really worried that the executive director uh, is going to call her out for this, because I'm pretty sure he won't listen to this podcast. But uh, shout out to Tika for making the, the candy bar wrappers. And then Saturday night's party was shawarma and board games for for kids and a few close family members. So it was a really small little little gig and it went really good. We had a really nice time. Everyone had a great great blast. You would you would love the fact that because Iggy's really close with the guys and the gals on the soccer team and the attire was informal. There were like five kids in soccer kits. Yes. And Iggy of course wore his Rapids kit. So he he came he came ready for the day. So it was yeah. all a good thing. And I made a gratuitous soccer reference in my sermon, so a good time was had by all. Yes, uh, it was. It was a really lovely ceremony, Mark. I should. I, I will. I will acknowledge that the the transitions in terms of where people had to stand and everything was maybe, um, you know, rehearsal. Uh, for that, um, oh, I'm sure we was don't the, do that. <laughs> yes, uh, was the way that it was and everything. But I thought you were excellent with the. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the terminology, the hymns, but your die, 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 die was very good and better than some of the other rabbis I've seen. The main rabbi who they had um, doing it, who's uh, the taller gentleman with the tall um, rabbi. 
yes, with the curly hair was excellent as well and deeply human and topical in terms of the events that are still taking place in the Middle East that are troubling for your community and everything. Um, I thought Iggy was uh, excellent, Mark. Um, his pronunciation, I thought decent, but it was more uh, maybe his his rhythm could have been improved. He was reading the, uh, the words in the Torah, but not necessarily the phrases or the sentences. I say this as someone, Mark, who only barely is better at reading Spanish than he is at Hebrew. So who am I to talk in that regard? But, um, you know, Iggy referencing Dungeons and Dragons as a committed, chaotic, neutral D&D player, uh, nice. warmed the cockles of my redheaded heart. Um, and then your sermon as well, also very excellent, um, acknowledging, you know, tomatoes that just have the right amount of crunch but are juicy in the middle, and the fuzzy ducks as well, and why... Um, uh, you know why uh 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 the why god chooses to create us so that we create those things and uh understanding our purpose in the world and that in the context of Iggy becoming a man and especially given um clearly the young man that he's proven to be capable of with what the um I can't remember if it was the other rabbi or someone else pointing out the question he asked about toxic masculinity and everything. Oh, that um, was Noah. That was Noah, my wife. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's he's a good egg, Mark, and I am I am glad that I get to be I get to have some role in his life. And so if nothing else, that means that I'm crashing at the couch that is over uh over your shoulder right now and I get to bring him a soccer kit and I I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna have to struggle. I'm gonna need some recommendation for what to get Etta as well because she is not a crazy soccer person as well. Um, I, I need to come out to Pittsburgh, Rabbi. We need to go to a Hounds game, especially given what I think the Hounds are capable of doing in this playoffs and everything. But uh, as someone who is just a friend, as someone who is a non-Jew and everything, felt honored to be included of that. And it was it was one small joy and proof of goodness. Iggy is a very bright candle who will be capable of banishing out um, the various uh, long darknesses that exist, unfortunately, in our world in the 21st century. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, the, the theme of my sermon was kindness because Iggy's just really kind. That's kind of his jam in the world. And um, and I just kind of told him, I blessed him that he just kept doing that. You know, like that in a place and a time where kindness is in such short supply, I, I just reminded him that like kindness is not a weakness and the way to be masculine in the modern era is not to kind of like be the most macho dude bro in the, of all time. But to really just kind of lean lean into who you are and be proud of who you are. So um, I'm really excited. Uh, you know, we had a really nice time, and and I think the other thing is, uh, you know, you you made you made mention, and I think you you nailed it, Matt. You did a great job of of all the, of noting all the things. But I'll just note that like we were just really focused on making sure he felt comfortable and he enjoyed himself and he um, put in a good shift. But it wasn't a, a performance. I think one of the things that's really interesting about the modern American bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah culture, is that, like, the, the number one compliment that you'll get afterwards is, oh, he did a really good job. And, you know, it's a real challenge. It took a full year of preparation. I don't know, I'm not sure how interested the listen, listeners are in, like, what does a bar mitzvah look like? So they have to chant a piece of, they have to. There's a, The tradition is to chant a piece from the five books of Moses. Uh, our, our Torah portion for this week was um, from Genesis the very beginning it's the very beginning of the jewish um scriptural passage reading uh phase um since we're not very far off of the new year um and he was reading about one of the more obscure characters in all of the bible a guy by the name of lemech um 
who is the descendant of Tuval Cain, um, and, uh, and, 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 uh, uh, anyhow, uh, and, um, and then there's another scriptural passage, the, the reading from the prophets that they have to do, which has a different tune and a different blessing, and it's much longer. And so you have to be kind of fluent at reading Hebrew. You have to learn two different kinds of cantillation. Um, you have to learn the blessings that go before and after. Uh, a lot of kids kind of like vaguely memorize it. Iggy doesn't have a musical ear. He's not a great memorizer. Um, and he was doing a fair amount of reading. I mean, he was really comfortable with it, but it took, you know, a solid year to do it. And then he sang along with me as he led the middle part of the service. So it was a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, we're really glad that, that he could do that. And, and uh, thanks for being there, Matt. Okay. Thank you for having me, Mark. Absolutely wonderful. Um, <clears throat> there was one more thing that I, I wanted to say, but I, I can't remember um, it now. So we'll move on, I suppose. Um, we'll put it right. in extra time. We'll put it in extra time. Yes. Uh, all right. you. All right, Rapids Goy. Uh, Mark, um, <laughs> we're going to have Goy is the word for people or nation. Sometimes pejorative, but not when I would use it. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, listeners, this is going to be the shortest recap that we have because this game didn't matter. I wasn't watching it live because I was getting drunk watching the Miami Hurricanes get destroyed by the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. And there's really only one thing that's important for me. So, Mark, this past Saturday, the Colorado Rapids finally played their game at FC Dallas, their penultimate game of the season, their final road game of this 2023 campaign and they got a 1-1 draw against FC Dallas. The game was exactly what I was expecting it to be from a scoreline, from a run of play standpoint. Dallas had a lot of the ball. They were a team that had possession without a purpose and didn't really have any creative ideas. The Rapids actually out XG'd Dallas in this one. In my notes, I have 0.9 for Dallas and then 1.6 for the Rapids. Harris had a chance. He missed it. Kevin Cabral had some chances in the a second half coming on as a sub. He missed those. It was two goals off of set pieces that were opportune moments by important attacking players for both teams. Alan Velasco with a really brilliant free kick that I don't think anyone in the wall or Marco Ilicha is doing anything about. But uh, Mark, the only thing that I think will truly matter since this game was a dead rubber for the Rapids, Rafael Navajo finally scores a goal in Burgundy. It's true, and he got it off of uh, uh, the most rapid see rapids play of all time, which was Cole Bassett with a set piece, which he um, schwacked uh, and curled right onto the bar, and then it bounced out down uh, to Navajo's foot, and he poked it back in in kind of a true poacher goal-style uh, move. It was very... Um, Muller popping up at the right time, Chris, uh, um, Chris Wondolowski, you know, coming in just between the, the, the defenders. Um, but for Bassett to, uh, once again, um, use the crossbar or the uprights in order to, um, produce something that was nearly a goal for him, but didn't quite work out that way is so on form for him. You know, I, I just... I don't quite understand how it's possible that a player could be as unfortunate, snake bit, close to, but not quite into the goal as he is. But it turned out to be a goal, so it was fine. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's it's also on, on brand for the Rapids that Kevin Cabral was really disappointing in this one. Just had two really good, I mean, the first look at the goal was really a wide open opportunity that he biffed. And that Calvin Harris miss that you mentioned was also, it was Harris by himself in on goal. Um, and he didn't really, he, he, the, 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 
opposing keeper came out and snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. So it ended 1-1, um, which was, I think, a deserved, but it pointed out that the Rapids' lack of paying for high-quality finishers resulted in guys not finishing. Um, that's at least my take. Um, so, yeah, that's that's roughly what was going on here. The, the defense held steadfast, and the midfield um, did a good job with possession and kind of keeping... Um, uh, Dallas off the ball, and uh, the final comment by Healy was uh, very astute, which was he said, you know, Dallas with yet another draw, you know, and that's been Dallas's problem recently is that they just can't they they, they get they get that one point, and they really they really wanted, you know, they're still in a playoff hunt, and they're in a position where I think as of right now. Um, they still could miss out on decision day. Based yes, on their they result. could. Um, they basically uh, Doyle was going it over. I was listening to extra time earlier today, Mark. Effectively, Dallas needs a win in this one. You've got in. It's interesting in the East and the West. You effectively have playoff. You effectively have playoff games for potentially the final seed because Sporting Kansas City is hosting Minnesota. I believe they are nine and ten. And then further down the table in the East, you've got Chicago at NYCFC. That could end up being a dead rubber if Montreal and I can't remember who else gets a result. But I, I think Dallas needs to go in knowing that they're getting a win. I think you're going to see a desperate um, Portland Timbers team try to get a result against Houston. And then San Jose is hosting Austin. Austin's kaput at this point. So yeah. and then it at that point, then, if Dallas does not beat the LA Galaxy because they have none of the important tiebreakers for this, then a then if there's a winner between SKC and Minnesota, then they're out. So I think in um, Dallas has to have been looking at this game as win and we're in. If they end up missing the playoffs, I think Jesus Ferreira and a bunch of other players are going to be circling this game against the Rapids as this was the game that eliminated us. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing in this one is that uh, Sporting and SKC are on 41 points. Um, and just below the line, and San Jose, Dallas, and Portland are all the ones who are above the line on 43 points. Sporting is playing Minnesota, so that's a really interesting final. So, it, you know, both of those teams will be absolutely, you know, a, a draw is, that's a that's going to be the probably the must-watch game of Decision Day. You know, a draw is not an option for either team, so they're going to be going hell-bent for leather. Um, and then each of Portland, Dallas, and San Jose will want to at least get a point. And in some cases, um, including the San Jose case, they're, um, they're minus four on goal differential. So they're in danger of getting a draw and still missing the playoffs um, if Sporting or Minnesota uh, get through. So Portland, Dallas, and San Jose are all rooting for uh, a 1-1 uh, a or a 2-2 draw in the SKC-Minnesota game. But Dallas now needs either a result or a small miracle to get through. Um, so it's really interesting. It's a really interesting thing uh, going in. Uh, Portland, their first tiebreaker is wins, and so they're actually kind of sitting pretty on that one. But Sporting could jump all the way into 7th um, if everything goes their way on the final day from 10th where they're out of the playoffs. They might jump all the way up to missing that um, that first round uh, by game that they don't have to so they don't have to deal with it. Uh, just a few more things that I'll comment on this game, Mark. I think the Chris Little effect was again in effect on this Saturday mm. and yeah. was effective. Sebastian Anderson got another start. There was a slight knock for Ke- knock for Keegan Rosenberry, and so Chris Little made a a personnel 
uh, a judgment call in that case. And Sebi played 90 minutes, I think was solid enough. He did not look out of place. He's not necessarily doing anything spectacular defensively or on the ball. Not that that's something that's being asked of him or even something the Rapids would want, would expect of Keegan Rosenberry. But, um, you know, I, I think just... Um, Sebastian Anderson, I think, has grown, Mark, for me in professionalism and quality and consistency and understanding what's needed for him to be getting more regular minutes in MLS than he had been previously. And I continue to see a tidy, mature young man at the right back position. And I'm really excited to see what he could potentially do next year. Ralph Prisso also in this game, Mark, we've seen him be more effective with Chris under Chris Little as a substitute and he started in this game got a second minute yellow card and I think managed that really well given the amount of defending that the Rapids had to do without the ball and then Danny Wilson was in as Moise Bambito was away with international duty uh Moise had a whirlwind trip listeners uh flying all the way out with Canada to go play a game in Japan and then come back hopefully he did something anime related I don't know if you saw Mark Jordan Angeli did a nice video with Moise a couple weeks ago about how his season is going and he talked about some of his stuff and apparently he's a big anime guy uh he's Naruto I'm a bit of an older person so I would say Naruto it's all about Dragon Ball Z, but hopefully we can agree on One Piece. Mark has no idea what I'm talking about. Listeners. No, Iggy loves One Piece. Oh, I'm let's go. Okay, so um, One One Piece is a little violent for him, maybe Mark. But okay, he's a man now. He's he a, he's a man this. now. He can watch whatever he wants. <laughs> um, we also like um, Arcane. Uh, we watch that together, which isn't exactly anime, but it's a it's it's rad animation and and one of a kind and and based on. Um, What's the video game that everybody loves? Um, I, I know what you're talking about. I don't know it either. Uh, so our some of, one of our listeners right now is screaming their head off. So, um, yeah. Okay, cool. If I just Google Arcane video game, then what comes up? Uh, well, that's Arcane Dog Adventure on Nintendo Switch. I don't think that's it. Okay, not I'm it. not sure. I'm, I'm not oh, it's in... League of Legends. It's League, League of, of Legends. Legends. Thank you, Mark. It's like the biggest video game of all time in terms of the... Uh... Massive online uh, style. Yeah. Um, so in, in any case, Mark, three changes for Chris Little. And I think for the most part, we're effective. We know what Danny Wilson is. We know what he is and isn't capable of doing. Um, there are some people who don't like him, Mark. You and I have been defenders of him because we acknowledge what he is capable of and choose to praise him for what he is able to achieve than rather knocking him for something that he isn't and the team not being built around in a way to um, combat those weaknesses. I do think based on that, it's probably the last year you'll see him starting. But that's, you know, I think I said that last year, too. So we'll see him. We'll, we're, we have we have months and months to go talking about uh, what what we'll need to see with the 2024 Rapids, but uh, but yeah. Uh, last two notes that I have on this game, Mark. Um, I felt that this was a beatable team and just another game where I think the Rapids improved from they they rate Chris Little has raised the floor in terms of what this team is. I don't know that he's changed significantly the ceiling that they were at times under Robin or that I think this version of the Rapids in this season with the players they had unavailable of being. Um, I'm glad that he's getting gotten consideration, Mark, in terms of the head coaching opportunity. I think he's the only internal candidate you would look at at the club in terms of being under consideration for the first team job. Uh, we'll get to this in a minute in later in the show listeners, when we talk coaching search, but I'm, I, I think at this point, Mark, this result is evidence enough for me that little is not coming up with creative enough tactical solutions to help them significantly uh, outkick their coverage in ways that Robin was able of doing in 2021. And that makes me think that he's not necessarily the guy that the Rapids need to go and get given what their limitations will be and everything. 
fantastic guy, fantastic servant for the club. I would spectacularly love to have him stay on in some capacity if he wanted to go do something with the academy under Chris Little. Fine with me if he wanted to stay with the first team and be a number one or number two assistant to whoever the new head coach is. Fine with me as well. He'll have no problem getting employment elsewhere if he's not wanted at the Colorado Rapids as of December 31st, 2023. But uh, for me, he should no longer be a primary candidate or the number one candidate for the head coaching position. That's interesting for me. I think he, he based on his uh, what he's done in the last couple of weeks, I think he totally deserves the the job. I don't think he will get the job because some of the other names are a little bit more exciting, but we'll save that for later. Yeah. Um, and then last thing, I don't know if this got confirmed over the weekend, Mark. Joseph Samuelson brought this to my attention when I was talking to him earlier today. We are now mathematically guaranteed that this will be the worst points per game total in Rapids history. It's kind of hard to compare points total listeners because obviously MLS hasn't always played the same number of games across the season. There was a point previously in the league's history in which there were no ties. Obviously, at one point, one of those tiebreakers was the 40-yard dribble up penalty kick shootout as well. But if we're just looking, Mark, at number of points the Rapids got divided by the number of games they played in that season, even with a win against RSL, that will max them out at 0.88 points per game for the season. Season, and they have never been below 0.9 in the history of the club as well. So we right. we've had a number of metrics in order to um, look at Mark and say that this is the best, this is the worst rapid season so far. We could say that this was disappointing in many regards. Winning the wooden spoon obviously would have been an ignominious title for the club, but just simply based on points per game, like I feel comfortable saying there's an easy argument to make. This is officially the worst season in club history, or at the very least should be, should be considered from a historical standpoint, both emotionally, qualitatively and quantitatively. Totally. Uh, I noted a couple, like I think a week ago that uh, Toronto's, I think it was probably 10 game 10 days ago where Toronto's incompetence, ultimately sealed the deal on them winning the the wooden spoon. Um, There is, (laughs) I don't know if this means anything to anybody, but there is a world in which the Rapids still end with the worst goal differential in the league, um, which is kind of like the supporters shield anti wooden spoon of the league. So, um, so I don't know, not that it means anything. And Toronto are already with John Herdman working on rebuilding. So they have one up on us in a certain respect. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a rough one, Matt. Mark, despite the United States men's national team losing 3-1 to Germany and my Miami Hurricanes getting beat by UNC as I watched the, uh, updates on the Rapids get a 1-1 draw, for me, the most gut-wrenching game of the sports weekend was Sunday night at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in which Colorado Rapids 2 played Austin FC2 and this game was nil-nil. Went into extra time, finished nil-nil, and then went into penalties, and uh, Rapidos ended up losing in pens by a score of 4-1, to or technically 1-4, since the Rapids were the home team. Mark, really hotly contested game for me. Not a lot of chances, not a lot of things between the two teams. The Rapids passing was a little bit off for me, and that's normally what they've used to sort of unlock Austin, and... Austin, while they didn't have any maybe big award winners that were getting praised in terms of some of the MLS Next Pro um, season awards, have a very stout defense. Joe Hafferty was one of the center backs listed on 
the best 11. And then Adam Beaudry was a finalist for goalkeeper of the year, but then lost out to Loss LAS, the goalkeeper for Austin FC2. And both of them certainly showed their quality at times against Yosuke Hanya. Remy Cabral was on an island for much of the game. Um, he had, like, there was nothing that really that he could do other than occupy the space to then take away one of the center backs to then create space for other players. A uh, lot of really close call. Mike Edwards, Blake Malone both had headers. Abraham Rodriguez, who was in goal for this game, even though he was on the charter over the weekend, or I guess on Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, coming back from Dallas, uh, you know, made a really great arm save at the end of it. And it came down to penalties. I didn't think either team did enough to win the game in the 90 or in the 120 minutes. I think it would have taken a spectacular, um, it would have taken something spectacular from an individual in order to break that, given how stout Austin's defense was, and given that the Rapids collectively, not necessarily just Hafferty and Loss, were doing an excellent job. I could point out, Mark, there was a point when every single Rapids defensive player made a significant defensive action that helped save a big opportunity. It should be said, Mark, uh, Stephen Flores, the 19-year-old academy product at the right-back position, put in a really good defensive shift with uh, Sebastian Anderson coming off, and then Daniel Garcia was the sub in stoppage time in the 96th minute, I believe, for him, and did, I think, fine. Um, They weren't the reason that the Rapids kept a clean sheet. I I'd want to believe it, Mark, if Eric Boucher was here right now and we gave him true serum. I think having Adam Beaudry on the bench would have been helpful. Beaudry was out with a left toe injury. I have reason to believe, Mark, that injury would have made him unavailable for this Sunday's final where the Rapids playing in it. And so just not having that option to even sub out Abrod because Beaudry's stats this year on penalties are a little bit better, something for Boucher to consider. And even though Flores put in a really good shift, um, he didn't do a whole lot going forward. And that's something that Sebastian Anderson has been able to add really well. And so there were just, there were times where Yosuke Hanya cooked absolutely, Rabbi, in space on the dribble and everything, but he did it largely without the support that he was used to with Sebi. Uh, Gut wrenching night for me, Mark. I, I really thought this Rapids 2 team was a team of destiny. I think there's so many good narratives and so many good people in and around the club so far. Um, and this is an opportunity for them to do something really special. And next pro, we don't have a lot of data on it, Mark. But you know, I, I spoke to somebody in the club, you know, who made it very clear, like this isn't this isn't a destination for anybody on the club. Somebody in the academy um, who hasn't yet signed a homegrown contract, next pro is the opportunity for them to play well enough to earn a homegrown contract for. <clears throat> existing home drone or younger players with the first team. This is an opportunity for them to prove that they've earned first team minutes like Sebastian Anderson. And for the guys on next pro contracts, this is them auditioning for MLS USL championship, other places as well. Mark, uh, if uh, Yosuke Hanya absolutely could be starting for an above average USL team in the championship next year. I could say the same thing about Bake Malone. I think there's four or five guys that are homegrowns uh, with the first team who have played well enough to where they deserve to start preseason with the first team under the presumption that they will earn that. And then the uh, the default will be that is an opportunity that they have earned until they prove otherwise that they should be dropped back down to R2 or do something else that isn't contributing to the first team. And so in that regard, there's, uh, I think, next pro, just like as we've seen, Mark, with like... Um, AAA baseball teams or with an AHL affiliate for 
a hockey team, or I don't follow the G League in terms of basketball closely enough to know about this, but these things come in cycles and um, and they ebb and flow back and forth based on where the clubs are and where their key players are at. And so I, I'm worried, Mark, that a lot of guys that were on this team have earned better opportunities to go somewhere else, which is great for the Rapids first team, great for the other clubs that will pick up um, some of those players. But this is an opportunity for them to do something special as a club. And I think there's a very real po- there's a non-zero possibility that next year um, it'll be a new crop of guys that are learning and learning by making mistakes and Eric Boucher will be given a bunch of younger academy kids and asked to make something successful of that and they get shellacked a few times and so just my, my heart breaks for that this is something that I think was that I, I felt like they were just des- they were deserving they could have done something um, but Ali LaRoz goes down the middle with his penalty it's something that he's done before and I think Loss clearly knew what he was about to do and Darren Yappi had a really great shot mark to the his bottom left hand corner that Loss ended up saving was fantastic on the night there was some social media scuttlebutt that was unfair criticism of of yaps uh after that that i thought was unfair um but two young players one of whom didn't have a great penalty that was saved one who had a great penalty that was saved and abroad faced four shots he got a hand to the first one and the backspin put it in everything um mark you know i've i've criticized yosuke hanya earlier for maybe being a little bit selfish with the opportunities that he's got not trying to find remy not trying to find someone else but um, you know, all of that would be forgiven if Avrod makes one save and then Darren Yappi buries that, you know, top left instead of bottom left. And maybe instead, um, the, the result informs how we critique the performance in certain regards. And so I, I'm nitpicking something for a bunch of young kids that were using this as a learning opportunity, but still had an opportunity to win a trophy and all of that fizzled away on pens and it's cruel. Um, but, uh, that's football. Pens are Pens are cool. I mean, I think the the hardest thing for me about trying to place a playoff game for Rapids 2 is reminding the listeners and you and the team, although um, it it's not, um, uh, I don't know, um, appropriate, uh, proper, kind, important, whatever, that like, the goal is not to win MLS Next Pro Cup. The goal is to win MLS Cup. And so it, it really, um, it doesn't really matter whether this team loses in the playoffs or not. Their, their player development is the most important thing. Um, and whether some of these guys will use this uh, experience as a stepping stone to the next level. So that's, that's the most important thing for me is that um, these guys prove they were good and that they were competent and that they could play at the next level. And I think a couple of them um, did. And we talked about on Twitter, Matt, whether um, (coughs) some of these guys would get into the Rapids final game of the season um, because their season is now over or whether, um, you know, there was some other reason that the the league wanted to, or that, that that Chris Little wanted to maybe keep some of the senior players the way they were. Um, You know, there's absolutely no reason for Keegan Rosenberry to play on the last day of the year, they definitely should let Ali LaRaz and Remy Cabral and um, a couple of the other players get into the match at the very least. But, um, you know, uh, you, the other way to say it would be, you know, like these guys have done done their job, they've, they've put in a shift and, and they deserve kind of a rest now. But um, no matter what, uh, kudos to R2. I think mostly, Matt, I'm only... Um, I wouldn't say negative, but like 
Um, not, I don't find, you know, winning, uh, MLS next pro cup, all that important because I didn't get to see any of the games. So, you know, uh, I, I definitely, um, I would love to, for them to come out and play a game close-ish to me. And, and then for me, maybe me be able to be able to make a road trip of it next year. But, you know, I'm already starting to think about what my next year's road trip will be. Um, the last two years I completed the Ohio double in that I got to see Cincinnati two years ago and, and Columbus this past year. And now I'm kind of like, you know, my bucket list for, um, stadiums or at least stadia that are close by. I want to see the Rapids in DC. I want to see the Rapids in Toronto. Those are the closest drives. And I want to see the Rapids in Philadelphia, which isn't that close a drive, but, um, might be if I can, get the time off of work or do kind of a remote trip uh, is a train trip for me. So Mm. the train, the train sucks in Pittsburgh. It doesn't really, there's a train to DC, but it requires a train change someplace and it takes forever and it's totally inefficient. The train from Pittsburgh to Philly is really long and slow, but like, Hey, what the heck? You only live once, right? Like, so, and you know, maybe next, next summer I, that's that's on there, and that that could be a fun uh, kind of listener adventure that we do the podcast on the train one day. You know, like uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll wake, I'll I'll hit the train the next morning, and and you'll uh, you'll get up in the morning, and and uh, we'll be working on the railroad all the live long day, Matt. Yeah, Mark. If I wasn't about to, I'm I'm currently planning a a ski trip with um the friend who got married in uh, this time last year in middle of nowhere Maine that was why I missed decision day or not decision day excuse me that's why I missed the final home game of the season last year the one nil win against FC Dallas um I missed that game for that wedding and then so that friend that couple um are coordinating a ski trip to Tahoe um and I have not I have not skied Tahoe mark since I was I I would have been younger than Iggy at this point in terms of when I tried it and barely knew what I was doing and it was all pizza and then occasionally sending it on french fries so you know I I haven't skied outside of Colorado um as an adult so that would be something that you know I'd want to do but so I'm I might be dropping a bunch of money in order to make that happen Mark which would limit the uh away day funds for 2024 but we should do an away trip Philly's a great city we could go do that um Obviously, we both have some uh, some dietary limitations on the Philly cheesesteak, but <laughs> they make a good vegan cheesesteak everywhere these days. Though, Ooh, so. okay, then we'll we'll have to we'll have to hit up. We'll we'll do a, as part of the pod banter topic. We will review the best vegetarian and vegan cheesesteak options. But I I think you and me, just like how we've talked about skiing Keystone together, I think there would be something really nerdy and a and something that's honoring our friendship given that both of us in formidable in forming in significant younger parts of our lives me as an intern at the epa and taking summer classes at gw and then you physically attending and graduating from george washington university us spending time as nerdy adults in the district i think would be fun and worthwhile and audi field's not that bad and really good stairs mark so uh it'd be a even though it's at sea level it'd be a workout like running up the stairs at red rock so um, Mark, any the the one thing that I would push back, Rabbi, on the I, I understand what you're saying about what the mission, the purpose of Next Pro is, and totally. I think of nothing else. Sunday was a lesson, given that you had playoff must win atmosphere, you had very you know season defining penalties that were, and that pressure that came with it. You had fan support. I don't know if you saw the uh, the highlights, Mark, but there were 
500, definitely no more than 1,000 people at Dick's for that game, but certainly more than the playoff game against San Jose. And uh, it was actually packed to the brim at times uh, at Nobo in the northern boundary mark. They were doing a uh, they were doing an event for prospective season ticket members for next year, and so they got to go in that area, and I don't know what else they had for that. But as soon as they did the coin flip for penalties and we found out it was going to be in the south stand, it was a beeline. 90% of the people that were in the stadium were behind the south stand, packed in 117 in 118. And so that was lovely to see. But I just think given how much growth we've seen from these players, from the coaching staff, from everything, Colin Warner, who's been an interim assistant for the team, Eric Boucher, who won Coach of the Year in Next Pro, I th- I thought the, the only fitting way to honor that, the physical manifestation, Rabbi, of what they had achieved this season in a way that was going to be a net positive for the first team and hopefully the years to come would have been lifting that trophy. And so the fact that they didn't get to do that and finish that in the right way, in the way that they've finished it all season, that's the, for me, that is a, that is missing out on a good story and that is missing out on something good happening to good people. And Mark, you and I have talked on the pod about we are, uh, on some level, we are neutrals. We don't necessarily root for teams outside of the Rapids, but we root for good people and we root for good stories. And I think Rapids, too, and the people that I have gotten to know and cover and understand who they are on and off the pitch are good people. And those good people just came a little bit short because, uh, kind of a little, just a little bit short because penalties are cruel. Mark, we're going to talk about the coaching search and victory crossing and at some point preview this RSL game. Before we do that, uh, are there any pint glasses left and tell our listeners about how they can support holding the high line? Well, I'm going to have to freestyle this one, but there's one pint glass left and of my two pint glasses left there, uh, one of them has been obliterated by the heat in the dryer, in the dry setting of my dishwasher. So we've learned after... 15 washes that you should hand wash only. Um, listeners, you can support the writing that we do and the podcasting that we do by uh, making a contribution to Holding the High Line. You can go to holdingthehighline.substack.com, um, subscribe to our newsletter at the $5 a month or $42 a year level. That would make you a Highliner. There's also still, of course, the Gallery of Honor plan. That is the $96 uh, for year. Um, it automatically renews on the one-year anniversary. So um, just, you know, do what I do when I'm trying to figure out whether I want to renew my PlayStation Plus or whatever else and mark down um, when the one-year renewal is um, if you only want to give for a year. But we're going to try and give out a piece of swag every every year. It was a pint glass this year. And, uh, you know, I think what we're talking about is since we got a brand-new Dwayne Brown-made um, crest for holding the High Line and Emblem. Um, we're going to try and figure out another piece of merch that will have that uh, promoted on it. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning, personally, I lean hoodie, Matt. I, have, I love hoodies. Um, I wear them all the time, but it's like a regular kind of Russell Athletic-style sweatshirt would work for me. Uh, Long-sleeve shirts are always kind of cool. Um, so, you know, something, something good and useful, and we'll, we'll debate it in the off-season off the pod. We're also willing to take your suggestions uh, ask, hashtag ask HTHL works both as a um, asking us questions, but you can also always use it to just catch our attention. Um, I will note that the, apparently um, for those of you who are not current Twitter uh, holders or X holders, there's a rumor going around that Twitter's going up to a dollar 
a year for um, new subscribers in order to get the functions of Twitter. Um, so uh, we'll we don't have any plans of uh, departing from X right now, but uh, if X becomes a ghost town and there are better and other socials, we'll update you with that. But um, the most important thing is always my tagline for this, uh, which is if you help out by you know giving us a little bit of money to get gas or helping me to get train fare next year to to matches, helping me to buy better equipment, for instance, and um, being uh, our backup photographer to John Babiak. You know, every dollar you hit up with me and Matt usually goes right back into the production of the podcast. So you'd be supporting citizen soccer journalism, and we appreciate it. Back to you, Matt. Listeners, uh, we're going to talk about the coaching search now, as I, I guess we should do this chronologically here, Mark. So I had originally reported, I can't remember this one, it was a couple weeks ago now, that the first round of interviews had been completed, and they were down to five candidates, and that that had a mix of domestic and international uh, candidates. Uh, since then, Tom Bogert originally, and then myself and Brendan Plone following up, have reported that Chris Little is one of those five candidates, and then David Ornstein from The Athletic out in England uh, reported that Jack Wilshire, former um, Arsenal... Jack Wilshire. Jack Wilshire, former Arsenal... I don't, I don't know if we said... Mark, I feel like he was injured and never actually achieved his potential, so he... Uh, like, I don't know if he's like the Dylan Serna of... Or, or the Courtney Ford of Ars- uh, Arsenal fan, our uh, Ar- uh, beloved Arsenal player uh, who's currently coaching with the U18s and the Arsenal Academy is also a candidate. And then since then, we've had uh, Tudiene here uh, on this side of the pond has reported that Efren Juarez is also mm-hmm. a candidate. He is, since I assume our listeners are familiar with Chris Little, I assume most of you at least know something about Jack Wilshire. Um, Efren Juarez, uh, former Mexican international, he did play one year in MLS 2018 with the Vancouver Whitecaps, and then he was most recently in MLS, an assistant with NYCFC, and then he has since then been coaching in Belgium. He was at Standard Liège in the past, and he is currently at Club Bruges. For those of you less familiar with Belgian football than somebody who, I don't know, went to Belgium and uh, tried to cover Sam vines but they were away on that day mark um uh, those are two of the it's those two clubs and then Antwerp I would say are kind of the big three the powerhouses that you have and then I, I would say if Royal Antwerp Sam Bynes's club is in that they're certainly on the lower edge of that so I, I would say effectively um, Efren Juarez has coached um, in some combination one or the other at the Manchester City and the um and the arsenal of um, Belgium recently. Um, so Mark, he has, uh, so I, I've already given my thoughts on uh, Chris Little. Mark, your thoughts on Chris Little as a candidate, and then I'll throw it to you to uh, Jack Wilshire, and then we'll talk uh, Efrain. Well, so I'll say one thing really off the bat, which is the crazy thing about both Jack Wilshire and Efrain uh, Juarez is they're both significantly younger than me. And that feels super weird. I'm turning 47 in a couple weeks. Um, Jack Wilshire is just 31 years old. And Efrain uh, Juarez is just 35. Um, Chris Little as a kid. I would have gone to high school with both of them, Mark. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it's, it's pretty weird that even Matt, who's our youngin, uh, you know, is basically of the same age as them. But like... Um, anyways, uh, you know, that's that's for us, for uh, the, the listeners out there who are uh, geriatric Gen Xers like myself, um, that starts to feel, it starts to feel weird when, when you go from being older than the players to older than the coach. That just feels, 
strange. And I think it is actually even a notable thing to talk about, which is that um, the Rapids seem to be leaning on young coaches. And I think that that's a clever idea in terms of the finances and um, who they can attract. You know, they cannot attract the top tier of um, European coaches, not by a long shot. They can't even kind of get those guys from the championship who have aspirations and goals of, of, of uh, you know, being at a high level and, and coaching really top talent because the Rapids don't have really exceptional, amazing players right now. I mean, they might in the future, but unlikely based on the current administration and ownership. Um, so what they've got to go for is the diamonds in the rough or give someone their start. And I think that's exactly what you want to go with with Juarez and Wilshire. The problem with both of them is they've never been head coaches. So you're going from two, you're taking two assistant coaches and you're, you're giving them a run. And Crystal is the same. And, um, you know, when you talk about, you're kind of interested in coaching pedigree, which is why I was really interested in, you know, guys hide, uh, assistant coaches who'd maybe worked under Tata Martino in Atlanta or, Brian Schmetzer in Seattle or other guys who were domestic and had worked um, under a coach here who had had success. Um, you don't get that with uh, Juarez or with Wilshire. Um, what you get with Jack Wilshire is a guy who has played under many really good managers, um, in court, including, of course, Arsene Wenger, uh, who is one of the greats. It would be really interesting that would be a great place to start talking if we wound up with him. I think the other thing you get with Jack Wilshire that's probably the main reason he, to me, is the leading candidate is you get um, a tremendous amount of uh, excitement and attention around the league and particularly in Colorado from Arsenal fans. You know, you will have people who could give a fig about the Colorado Rapids who will suddenly go to Rapids games just to see Jack Wilshire walk the sidelines because they remember him, they like him, they now have a connection. It's kind of silly, but um, I think this team really does sometimes need a little bit of flash in order to, to kind of go at it. I don't know what coaching the Arsenal U18s provides for him in terms of um, you know experience or a leg up. Um, I, I gotta be honest, I can't imagine that the EPL U18 league is all that, you know, important in terms of tactics versus talent. Um, whereas I was noting to a friend at Iggy's last soccer game on Monday that, and by the way, his, his season ender comes tomorrow. Um, it's, it's the blue out game. They have an away game at, uh, Shadyside Academy in Fox Chapel over the, um, over the river, over the Allegheny River. Not Come on, you dragons! Come on, you... What are they? The Lions are the Lions. The Lions now? He <sighs> had a great year. He really did. He had a, he had a great... I was going to say this at the very front, but, um, you know, I showed up at the game uh, after work, uh, and I was 15 minutes late, and, like, three different parents came to me and said, Iggy's been doing really good. He made three defensive stops. And then this year, it's been interesting. Um, the head coach decided... I think mostly for, for giggles to put him up front in the second half if the game's going okay. So Iggy's played at left wing in a 4-3-3 a bunch this year. He's also played left back as a right-footed player, which has been really fun. Um, and he just goes into tackles with total confidence. 
He, he uh, receives the ball and turns much better than he used to. All right, we're going to stop talking about my son. Anyways, um, but yeah, that's, that's I think, you know, I, I, don't really, I don't really know how little can compete against either of these guys um, in terms of Flash. The only thing that he's got going for him is the ability to say he's already shown that he kind of understands MLS and how to coach in MLS. So it may actually come down to the interview. Um, but I, I would say Jack Wilshire is the, um, favorite in this race. Quar is the second and, uh, and, uh, the only reason I don't think, uh, Wilshire is a favorite is because if he's in, if he's on the market, if he has an agent and he's interviewing, he probably is looking at other jobs. And why would he come to America when he could probably get a job at a European league, smaller European league and, and start off there, and it would probably propel him up the ladder faster. I don't know. I, I can't fathom Mark Jack Wilshire being um, a favorite for the job, or even a favorite just of the three wow. or five candidates that we've talked about. Just well, we simply, don't know who two of them are, right? Yeah, we so we don't know who two of That's them are. That's crazy. My hunch, Mark, is that it's probably, I think it's either two domestic guys and one international, or, or excuse me, it's I think it's either... Two domestic guys are one domestic, one international. I, I have a hard time believing that the only MLS American soccer, currently an American soccer candidate the Rapids are having, is the one internal candidate, Chris Little, in that regard. But even just even if it was just down to these three, Mark, I, I can't imagine going with Jack Wilshire for marketing reasons when right. the resumes of the other two is just so much far superior. Fair like, point. that is... Um, you know, that, that would be like a, if there was ever like a Veep or a Park and Reps spinoff of Manchester United, or it's like of Manchester United, and they were like looking to do a parody of Man U's approach to uh, recruitment when it came to under the Glazers. And then it's just like the, let's go with somebody who's purely going to sell shirts, even if they overlap or play the same position and like that is problematic in some regard or it's like the I, I finished the David Beckham documentary last week Mark and so they mentioned that you had Figo who was in a very similar position similar style of play to David Beckham and basically Real Madrid signed him and a few of the other Galacticos purely for financial reasons which I thought was just um hilarious but so so i just i i can't see that simply based on no head coaching experience like he literally retired 18 months ago he's only coached the u18 you want to have a conversation because he's part of kse and then somehow maybe there's this is the least arsenal to the rapids mark is the least symbiotic or interacting it's the worst relationship of the football groups that you have for mls teams that are in football groups fc dallas's relationship with bayern munich is more collaborative on the technical side in terms of staff and players and everything than what the uh what the rapids have had like the you know the rapids had you know pablo mastrini went and shadowed arson wenger for a week and then arsenal offered supposedly offered gideon zalalem and then he got hurt before that was an option so I just I, I can't see that happening. Um, uh, your point is well taken in terms of the Rapids are going with guys who have less head coaching experience, which goes back to a point I've been making for a couple weeks now that the Rapids are in a lower tier in terms of this coaching search because in order for someone to see this as a job that they would consider or an opportunity that they would come and attack with uh, tenacity and enthusiasm, they have to be at a certain lower level. And then inherently, as what we've seen from the three candidates, it's guys who haven't previously coached at the first team 
level. Um, Juarez has not coached at the first team level, um, even though he's been in MLS and in Belgium. Jack Wilshire obviously is, you know, U18s, Mark, I suppose, other than coaching the U14s and then dealing more with their, how do they have a first touch and then deal with their building, their fitness as they go through puberty, maybe would be lower on the totem pole in terms of the Arsenal Academy. And, you know, as we've already talked about with Chris Little, great background and everything, but not a lot of, he's looking for that first first team head coaching opportunity in MLS in the same way that Robin Frazier was looking for it when he went to Chivas. And because it failed at Chivas, he had to wait so long to finally get, again, a lower-tiered opportunity in the Rapids in 2019. And so in that regard, like the which one of these three candidates, Mark, if you asked the brass at Chicago, at Portland, at Minnesota, would these be in the top 10? I'll, I'll exclude Chris Little because I think everybody would have their own internal candidate that they would value because of the familiarity with the system and the club and how they would approach. I asked Daniel Sperry the other day, you know, like if Peter Vermees retired at the end of Sporting Kansas City season, like would Benny Fellhaber be a candidate? Benny's been an assistant with SKC for a couple of years. He coached uh, SKC too. He had that uh, semi viral quote uh, a couple weeks ago where he said smart or scared money don't make money in picking the team that uh, SKC2 was going to play in the playoffs and they proceeded to lose to that team which I believe was Austin now that I think about it so Benny would be a candidate in that final 10 for SKC but I don't know that Benny's getting consideration with what he's done at SKC anywhere else so Chris Little's kind of a misnomer mark because he's the internal candidate I I have a hard time believing if you asked any of the other clubs that have a opening right now if they had to list a hundred candidates that they plausibly think that they could get that a guy coaching at the U18 level in his at best second full year coaching at only the U18 level, even for a Premier League team, would be considered. Um, where I think the interesting one, and maybe then we'll we'll pivot to this now, Mark, um, you know, Efren Juarez, I think, is the one interesting candidate. But just, if, if Jack Wilshire is one of the final five candidates, Mark, that makes me really curious to see who the other two of the five are that we don't know. And uh, I'm not going to say full on that, you know, the Rapids are interviewing with a bottom group of coaches, but Hmm. this just shows where they are in terms of who are the people that we would want, that we can afford, that we think we could get, and then people that would then, and then, you know, the center of the Venn diagram of who would be interested in that opportunity. There's a reason Oscar Perez is not on this list, Mark. If Orlando doesn't resign him, Chicago Fire are going to back up a money truck to him. Caleb Porter is probably thinking that he can do better. Other coaches are thinking that they can do better. And I'm not sure, Mark, of these three that we have, that any of the three are more qualified than Robin Frazier was mid-August of 2019. It's just my personal opinion on that. I think Juarez is the most interesting of them, Mark. The fact that he's got international connections to where maybe he's bringing something different. He has connections in Europe from his time in Belgium, so maybe that would help from a recruiting standpoint. Um, Maybe also the fact that there's a connection to um, him being from Mexico and playing for the Mexican national team. There are other types of players in those parts of the world that he would have good insight on so that there's it's more cohesive in terms of a recruitment standpoint rather than what we've seen of kind of this bipolar or binary nature of there's Robin signings and then there's Porik signings. Um, you know, but the I'd have a question about the potential language barrier and that may be being a, a hurdle to uh, for the club to deal with and the fact that he doesn't have first team head coaching experience, particularly in MLS, is really the only knock that I have against him as a candidate. But if he's the off the wall candidate, um, I'm okay with that. I think the fact that all of his coaching experiences in club level is better than, I don't know, hiring a guy who's slightly overperformed one time with New Zealand. 
Mark, anything else that we want to say about the coaching search? Or shall we get on to this mayor of Commerce City, uh, Br- Benjamin Hoosman, going off on KSE? I will still say that my uh, I have a couple favorite side uh, options, but none of them have uh, starting experience. Um, and that would be Freddie Juarez and Rob Valentino. Um, and then I have to think that Giovanni Savarese is a possibility. And Jesse Marsh is my favorite uh, outside. There's no way Jesse Marsh would take the rap. He's job. He's above our caliber as a team, but he's also not working right now. And sometimes... As I know very much here in Pittsburgh, you just take the job that's available and you see what happens. But anyhow, all right, onward. Let's talk so Mark, about this. Let's talk about Victory Crossing again. <laughs> yes. So there was an article on. I'm gonna read the cover the, of the Denver Post. Yes. Yeah, so the cover on the Sunday edition of the Denver Post. Listeners. Um, there was an article about Victory Crossing documenting the inaction from KSC and then the frustrations from the various uh, leadership that you have here on the um, uh, from the I can't remember if it's the Chamber of Commerce City or the, the Commerce City City Council people, Mark, were um, upset with that. And then also kind of documenting the over the turnover you've had in terms of the <clears throat> in terms of the construction companies that have been involved in that uh this was written by noel phillips mark who is um doesn't say in her bio what she does but i think she does i, I think she does like business development uh and can um for the denver post and this was mark uh, brendan plone our friend um got credit as well um in terms of contributing to it and so there's some political complexities associated with that mark and a lot of red tape but ksc has done themselves no favors uh, according to this article in terms of how they've comported themselves as a partner uh, as a public partner with that and so there's a lot of frustration from leadership at commerce city and then just yesterday mark or there was a city council meeting that you had uh, where benjamin albert Hussman, H-U-S-E-M-A-N, uh, who's the mayor of Commerce City, who is, uh, his, he's term limited, Mark, there's an election coming up, I think it's the one that, the ballot that I just got in the mail, and um, he's not running for re-election, so Mark, one could look at this as him expelling, um, you know, any of the last um, bullets that he has in his chamber in terms of political things that maybe he's been sitting on because now there's no consequences. And then maybe he's also potentially acting in the best interest because there's no um, voter accountability that could negatively affect him. But I will link to the um, uh, to the YouTube stream from that listeners. It's almost two and a half hours long, but I'm just pulling um, long form quotes. Brendan Plone and I looked this up. So Brendan has this up on his Twitter for those of you who want folks. Um, so there's a point mark where in the actual meeting a representative of KSE a voice I didn't recognize and a face I didn't recognize so it certainly wasn't Josh it wasn't anybody I think directly who works for the Rapids at least not someone I've interacted uh, was asked about what that support would look like in terms of moving victory crossing or some version of it forward and they said support and then uh Houston the mayor asked a follow-up question what that would look like financially and then that's where he asked for the $25,000 so Mark this is where the $25,000 that were referenced in the Denver Post article and then the $35K that KSE was willing – or the $30K or $35K that was then going to turn into either $55K or $60K, which was going to be grant funding or a, a student award mark for effectively having 
graduate students who work in construction, architecture, urban planning, land development, design, do some concept designs for um, for uh, Victory Crossing. I'll get to my thoughts on that in a minute, but here's the various quotes, Mark, that just show where I think, unfortunately, the relationship, which I had reported, was better in the summer, has now fully deteriorated with the news that we got and with this article bomb from um, from the Denver Post on Sunday. So, quote, uh, it's a drop in the bucket whenever you consider the scale of what the project is, but why? Why should taxpayers be on the hook to fund this $25,000 to finally realize development that was supposed to be occurring all along? You have a landowner and a team owner who has sat on this property and hasn't done a darn thing that was promised to this community. He has not lived up to his obligations, not lived up to his obligations as a team owner or an any member as a mem or in any manner as a member of this community here we come again let's stick out our hand and expect another 25k on top of what is just just so that we can have this grant program exploration everything going forward the taxpayers deserve better than that there is a point where the mayor mark uh, referenced the c38 letter and then the walkout that you had in the new england revolution game uh, this development interests, uh, those development interests are in KSE's plans. They didn't come to us and say, hey, what do you, what would you like to see? They came to this council meeting in May and they said, we want to put up those high rise apartments, retail and commercial, but it's going to be a small component. We're, we've sat on the rest of this property and haven't done a thing about it. We haven't done anything to apply for any permits, any environmental covenants. There's complications associated with that, listeners. I can tell you more on that if you want. Um, we've done you. We've done squat. This is our plan. Now, six months later, an article comes out and says, oh, by the way, we want you to pay $25,000. I'm sorry, but the Cronky organization can afford the entire $50,000. So I guess it was twenty five and twenty five. I'm misremembering the numbers, listeners. They don't need residents to once again fork it over. Show you're committed to this. Show this. Show that you are committed to the land. Uh, to you are committed as the landowner, as the team owner, and everything else. Josh Kroenke wrote a, wrote a letter to the fans of the Colorado Rapids saying, "We are invested in this team. We are invested in this community. Prove it once again. Prove that you are actually invested in this community. Because for the umpteenth year, you've owned property. You've sat." on and have broken promise after promise to this community and to everybody else. The one thing you have proved is greed and lack of investment backing and lack of investment back where it belongs. So I will not support the $25,000 from taxpayers as long as I have the ability to do so. On September 16th, C-38 staged a walkout. The banner left behind said, the badge, the players, the fans deserve better. What C-38 failed to put in there is that the residents of Commerce City deserve mm. better as well. Woo! Mayor Huseman, Mark, has since, uh, has since entered the chat. He is lurking in the Colorado Rapids discussion page and commenting on other stuff as well. Wow. People be pissed, Rabbi, out there at ye old Commerce City with the Suncor plant and all. Wow. Matt with the fire take. I love it. Um, I'm pretty sanguine on this and wasn't expecting much. I mean, I think it's there's two things going on here at the very least. One is... I don't know why there's so much news about Victory Crossing now that's not news. I mean, I think the league, uh, um, Commerce City and the Rapids a couple weeks ago, the rumors broke that there was an offer of a land swap 
um, and the land swap seemed very unfair. The Rapids were offering to give up a couple of acres in one spot for a whole lot of acreage in another, um, and it wasn't equitable or fair. Um, and so that that was interesting um, because that, that moved things for the first time in a decade. But the other thing that's really notable here is um, there's a great Twitter uh, account called Field of Schemes, um, and basically all they do is document major American sports franchises attempting to secure um, free money or um, favorable deals from municipalities um, who really should be spending their money on other things like homelessness, um, education, um, housing support, police forces, whatever important issue a city needs to be dealing with, um, building a nice stadium as a boondoggle for some billionaire owner is not, shouldn't be in the top 100 of their priorities. Um, and so I think that's a problem, um, that KSC and Commerce City has always had, which is like KSC's like, you know, reach into the honeypot like all the other cities that you know, KSE deals with and give us our, our you know, our whatever we can get out of you. Um, you know, I think Kroenke dealt with the Rams that way, and that's how he got SoFi Stadium. Um, it's how he moved, uh, whatchamacallit, the St. Louis Rams out of St. Louis and back to Los Angeles um, in the first place, which was he held a gun to a proverbial gun to St. Louis's head and said, give me what I want or else. And St. Louis, to their infinite credit, said no. Um, I think the challenge with Major League Soccer is that it's the fifth most or sixth most important league in America, in American sport. And so um, it never has the clout to, to as, a, as, a, as a league, as a sport, to, to be able to, like, dictate terms the teams in the league don't have the ability to dictate terms to say we want what we want we want 150 million dollars in free cash or free land or tax benefit um so that's what it is to me is that this isn't actually much of a news story the thing that makes it slightly different of course is that victory crossing was long promised uh it's been talked about since the rapids moved into commerce city in 2007 um it's been uh, also it's so the other thing about it that related to my previous point is it's not actually a stadium boondoggle for an MLS team. It's not even a stadium boondoggle. It's just a commercial and residential real estate deal for the owner of the Colorado Rapids. It would benefit the Rapids in that it would make life out by the stadium less dead. There would be something to do other than bring an entire robust tailgate out into the parking lot, um, you know, or watch the Gophers uh, or, um, you know, take a ball out onto one of the other fields or go over to the Rapids kind of um, AstroTurfed, uh, uh, you know, uh, prefab tailgate kind of thing, or go to the really awesome C38 tailgate. It would just be great to be able to, at the end of the game, go to a pub or go to a restaurant or, um, hop on the bus, uh, you know, that gets right to the stadium because it's served by a bus line that gets there all the time because there's something out by the stadium. You know, there's a, a million things that they, they should do. The other thing is there, that land, 
this is slightly uh, a um, a self-inflicted gunshot wound on um, Commerce City in the sense that and I, I feel for them. I think the mayor is mostly right, but like the mayor is being a bit strident in how adamant he is that you know I'm not going to support this and I'm going to be a jerk about it. The problem that he's introduced is you know you don't get any tax revenue from the prairie dogs like. A bunch of gophers and and foxes and owls are not paying tax revenue. So that's a barren field that there's nothing on. And until you build something on it, you can't generate any revenue off of it as a city, in addition to the fact that KFC can't generate any revenue off it. Um, that doesn't make me feel like they should get um, absolutely fleeced in, a, in an ultimate deal with them. But there should be a little bit less anger and a little bit less kind of frustration and a little bit more of a willingness to work it out. Because even if the city has to give over more land than they want to, or even if the city has to create, you know, a whole bunch of additional, um, give an additional tax benefit to KSC in order to get them there, you know, there are two things that it would accomplish for Commerce City to bend a little bit. One is the development of that land would ultimately be good for the city unless they really screw up the deal. And two, and this is probably a longer term important thing, I don't know how badly the Colorado Rapids will want to stay in um, Dick's Sporting Goods Park if there's no Victory Crossing. You know, Victory Crossing, spending the time, money, and effort to develop Victory Crossing ensures that the Rapids will want to stick around Commerce City and develop Dick's Sporting Goods Park. If the mayor of Commerce City doesn't really care and doesn't really want to play ball around Victory Crossing, then the Cronkies will probably try and, you know, see if they can't, if they're going to develop a new stadium, if they can't do something, you know, closer to the city center or maybe down, you know, kind of west of Federal or some other place that's, you know, more amenable to them. Because that's the unfortunate thing about being in a major metropolitan area with other municipalities around. If you can't get the deal you want in um, in Commerce City, then you will ask Arvada or, um, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, Glendale or... Um, one of another dozen, you know, independently constituted municipalities in the Denver metro area, if they can't give you a better deal. All good points, Mark. Um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, there's a, a few things that I want to point out here. One, I, I have to think that, so I, I pulled up the Josh Cronkey <clears throat> statement, Mark, um, that he submitted in response to the C38 letter and then, you know, commented on, you know, the various partners that were involved and referred to a master plan for victory for the victory crossing project that was going to be unveiled sometime in early 2024. And I have to think that this is it, Mark. I don't want to poo poo using students as this as someone who's benefited yeah, from opportunities like that. that. I didn't even comment on that, but I'm I'm pretty I'll just say it really quickly because you're about to. But like, I thought that this whole twenty five thousand dollar um, you know, uh, win a contest idea. It was really dumb. Moving on, Matt. 
Yeah, so so for my senior design project, Mark, that I had my senior year at the University of Miami, um, our design project was with one of the adjunct professors at the university who was also still a full-time professional engineer. He was in his early 60s. He was about to retire. Water, wastewater tra- uh, tr- uh, treatment plant guy. And so he pulled a project that we had from, I can't remember which Central American country it was. I think it was Honduras, but it might have been Guatemala or Costa Rica, one of those three. And so he specifically said, this is the project that we're working on. Uh, it's going to, uh, we're going to start be doing design um, in the next year or so. I'm having you guys do this as a test case, work things out as we also do things in real time. And we came up with a lot of creative ideas, Mark, that were either economically not viable at scale or were engineering design-wise not feasible at scale. And so it was a good exercise for us to go through the process of thinking, what are possible solutions? And then him tell us why not, and then the practical reasoning for that. All, again, in the context of doing something in a developing country that had a limited budget and limited technology that we had learned and been used to, both as you know, mostly Americans or mostly people from um, affluent countries and going to a very expensive private school um, in a very expensive city, but then also to then understand and think about that process. I think it's one thing to have that as a student project. And I think another thing, um, you know, if Professor Peterson had specifically assigned us to that, even if there would have been the potential award, I think we had seven people per team. So seven people divided by 50K, um, you're still paying for a lot of tuition um, or student loan bills, Mark, or moving to another city when you get a new job out of school. For that, like it's one thing. I'm I'm not poo-pooing that specifically, but then my question is then are you do you're doing that for one specific reason? Is it because you're so early on in the process that this is just to get some concept designs to then run with and then search out a firm that will execute on that vision or the further development of that vision to then implement in a design build context? Is it because you're cheap and you don't want to pay for an actual professional to do it? Or is it because there's a doubt about whether or not this will get off the ground? So is this a sunk cost that you're masquerading as a carrot that's moving forward? And that's where I kind of have to wonder, specifically the $50,000 prize, but then wanting the city to fork up half the bill of the, can we kill two birds with one stone and not having to pay as much money, give a, you know, dangle a perceived carrot out to our fan base to then prolong this almost charader facade of us not actually developing this club and from a stadium standpoint. But big picture from what Rapids fans should think about this, Mark, regardless of the local city politics and inaction and red tape and potential corruption that's going on with this as well, is that um, even if this, even if they had a master plan, Mark, even if they had dropped a million dollars on architectural and urban planning design plots, and then really what they were doing at this point now when Josh released that statement was going to actual construction firms to talk about the actual development and the permitting to get final feedback in early 24, properly start construction in 2024. You're looking at stuff not really being even slightly open by 2025, plausibly mark anything that's close to a stadium district like what you've seen with McGregor Square or what the Atlanta Braves have done with their stadium ballpark district and everything. Realistically, that's not launching until 20, that's not open and open for business and all the bells and whistles and everything until probably 2026. And that's if everything goes well. And so, Mark, I could see from a Rapids fan standpoint who has no emotional connection to Commerce City, even with the stadium there, does not live there, doesn't care about the immediate local politics there. 
How is this helping the Rapids be successful in 2024? None of this is helping the Rapids make the playoffs in 2024. And I think the fact that from everything I had reported about how supposedly things were getting better and they were moving forward and there was going to be something coming out and that Joss mentioned that and I had a bunch of questions and what does this mean from an engineering standpoint and I'm contacting friends that I have that work at those firms, Mark, in order to like journalism my way into understanding what everything that's going on. I have to wonder if this is all lip service and I have to wonder if, you know, this time next year, we're just going to see a slightly more deteriorated um, victory crossing sign. And is this not confirmation? This is confirmation of of the of KSC being exactly what we all thought that they were oh, in totally. this regard. And is this just further proof between what KSC is doing? Um, in, ter- in terms of the stadium, in terms of the team, and in terms of their interaction with the local governing bodies as well, that like this is nothing has moved the needle in terms of what the mayor said today, or in terms of what the uh, city of Commerce City has said and had the dialogue and the open public meetings and uh, public comments for about that. So that that hasn't moved the, t- the needle. The team failing spectacularly on the field has not moved the t- the needle, and um, the uh, what what's happened with the supporter boycotts that we've seen hasn't moved the needle, and will something not finally enter the public, enter the consciousness, the frontal lobe of Josh Kroenke that is like, oh crap, this is something that I actually need to do besides type up a statement that is just uh, dealing with the PR component of this? Will that not happen until finally the club sees what the season ticket holder um, revenue and what that looks like in 2024? Um, I, I Whatever goodwill or benefit of the doubt mark I was giving or interesting questions I had as someone who works journalistically but in engineering and I know this stuff, I was so excited to ask a bunch of stuff about what that looked like. And I'm convinced that so much of this was just ended up being a nothing burger. And a nothing burger in which, again, KSC was trying to cut corners um, in terms of the process and cut corners financially at the expense of others that just further alienates everyone who remotely cares about what's going on at one Victory Boulevard. Yep. Uh, last thing I'll say about it is on the upside, there's one shine, there's one uh, silver lining to all this. Rapids fans, there will continue to be ample amounts of parking around DSGP because the dirt lots to the west side of the stadium are going to stay dirt lots for the foreseeable future. I will include links in the show notes, listeners, to both uh, that YouTube video that I tweeted out, Brennan tweeted it out as well, and I'll include a link to the article as well for those of you who have not read it. Um, great work there by Noel and Brendan as well on that. Um, Mark, let's close this out. Um, uh, we already know where the Raps are going to finish in terms of the Western Conference. Uh, they're playing RSL this Saturday for Decision Day. It'll be a 7 p.m. slightly earlier kickoff as well. Um, it's Decision Day, so all of the Eastern Conference teams are afternoon kickoffs and then an early, an earlier evening kickoff um, for the PIDs out there at Commerce City taking on RSL. Mark, this is technically the third leg of the 2023 Rocky Mountain Cup in terms of who's winning the trophy. Um, that is already moot because the trophy is determined based on point totals across all of the regular season games played. And so RSL already has six points. So, Mark, we can we can turn this. Uh, the Rapids have an opportunity, Mark, to end the final scoreboard line of it being currently 6-0 to either not some either between 9-0 or 7-1 or six to three, but ostensibly there's no scenario where the Rapids win the Rocky Mountain Cup on Saturday. I was texting back and forth, Mark, with a few people to just kind of get an understanding of how people feel about it. I'm I, I I'm immune to this result right now at this point, Mark. Um, for me, success for Saturday is play a couple of the kids, get Ollie off the bench, Sebastian Anderson gets another start 
Um, you mentioned earlier, Rabbi, the players who could get a call up. Um, Yosuke Hanya and Marlon Vargas have used all of their emergency call up. Uh, whatever that is termed, where an R2 contracted player can go and uh, be in the game day squad for the first team in a competitive game. So Remy Cabral available, all of the other R2 guys, Mark, who aren't homegrowns available. And then obviously there's no paperwork that needs to happen in terms of the homegrowns um, being on the bench as well. I'd love to see some, I'd love to see a few of the kids, not just Sebi, get a start mark. I'd like to see at least three of them be substitutes as well and if that can combine with a 1-1 draw to a 2-0 loss so it's not embarrassing that is enough for me otherwise I could not care less about this game I will be checking furiously updating uh my browser in terms of the scoreboards with what's going on with the switchbacks and the hailstorm playoff games yeah I mean for um for RSL all they're trying to do here is secure Home field advantage for an extra round of the playoffs. They're currently in fifth, but if they win, they might finish as high as third. That would change who they would probably face in the first round. As it stands, they're likely to face Houston, um, who I would not want to face. If they can win this game, or even with uh, potentially... No, a draw is not going to do it. A win against the Rapids probably moves them either above Houston, which gives them home field advantage in a best of three series, or it might bump them up as high as um, uh, third, depending on what Seattle does on decision day. And that would give them Vancouver as their opponent, who I wouldn't mind playing because Vancouver has been inconsistent all season long. So that's what they're playing for. I mean, I think it's really interesting. They also could... Um, finish below Vancouver and then wind up playing at Seattle. So that's what they have to play for. And so all of this is kind of like interesting for me in that, well, one of these two things that teams has something to play for. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do on decision day. Um, that is also the day that the Riverhounds have their first um, playoff match for the night. I haven't covered the Riverhounds in a really long time. Um, because there's just been a tremendous number of writers for Pittsburgh Soccer Now who've been available. And I had the High Holidays, followed by Sukkot, followed by a Bar Mitzvah for the last month. So I'm less soccered than I would prefer to be um, and would like to get back to the soccering. Uh, in about a week or two, it'll be high school soccer playoffs here in Color- in Pittsburgh, and I, I hope to uh, kind of maybe get to a couple of those um Mostly I like to cover the girls beat because I've been covering it for the last couple of years. I've interviewed from some of the pit women's players who come out of Pittsburgh. So um, that's been kind of a, a nice thing to, to start to get to know, you know, the school, the, the teams out here. Um, so anyways, I, that's where I'm at. Uh, you know, decision day don't, don't mean much to me. I also think, you know, things, things dropped off a lot for me and I've noticed Apple plus uh, or, or uh, Apple MLS has, has also kind of, really been struggling with the fact that what are we gonna do without Messi? Miami's not making the playoffs they still are promoting the upcoming final game of the season for Miami I think they're just relying on people who are not aware that they're out and who are also not aware um, that Messi probably won't play that game you know um, so it's 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 kind of a silly thing but Matt's upset about it I I, I want the league to get <laughs> I want the league to make its paper. Um, you know, I also I also want an opportunity 
to see Messi myself next year play against the Colorado Rapids wherever he plays. So um, if that happens, if 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 it happens, if if it if it's also unlikely to happen, there's there's a there's a good chance that that's that's not going to be a thing. So we'll see. Um, you know, that's that's where I stand. I guess. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I would say that the Rapids lose this game two to nothing. There's not a lot of reason for them to win. There's a lot of reason for them to start some of those young players, like you said. Uh, you know, I guess the um, last game of the season that I would like to see the decision day match that most intrigues me, I suppose, would probably be that Cincinnati Atlanta game. They don't have a lot to play for, but those two teams are fantastic, and I think seeing what they can do kind of down the down the road, uh, da- da- down at the bottom uh, at the end of the season would be really interesting. Um, San Jose has a lot to play for, and they're going to try and beat up on Austin. And obviously the most important match of the night is going to be sporting Kansas City, Minnesota, because it's, it's a win-and-you're-in situation for both those teams. So kind of cool. Last question one could ask about the West is, will um, St. Louis kind of rest its players against Seattle – Seattle, who need a win to kind of secure higher position and home field advantage. St. Louis, who have absolutely nothing to play for um, because they've clinched first place no matter what. And that buy um, in the first round, well, not, it's not exactly a buy um, because they just are stuck playing the 8-9 teams. So that's where we're at, you know, and I think all of it to some degree is a little bit moot because this expanded playoffs, I think, is really dumb. There's no way the 8-9 teams should be in. And the reality is, based on what I've seen historically in all leagues in any sport, but particularly in MLS, the 8-9 teams are, it's a question of whether they go out immediately or whether they pull off a miracle and then go out in the next round because they've kind of, you know, spent all their energy in that in that first round. So I probably said too many words on the playoffs, considering the Rapids aren't in it. Should we get out of here? Uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll finish off with my thoughts on this one, Mark. How dare um, you? I think that, um, so not to again, go through all of the playoff scenarios listeners, but it, it, uh, RSL's fighting for seating and they are fighting for uh home, home and field advantage in that the, whatever the first round proper that has the three leg series. So, and RSL has, does not have the tiebreakers to their advantage with the teams that they're potentially competing with and then watching their, out-of-town scoreboards as well. Um, particularly their goal difference is the weakest of the of all the teams that they could jump or be passed by. So it would behoove RSL needs a result in this game, and if they can win the game, get three points, and then also run up the scoreline to improve their goal difference, that would behoove him. I'll go 2-1 in this one, Mark. I, I think the... I think Chris Little had a nice quote at the end of the Dallas game, you know, saying that it was an insult to say that they were playing spoilers or that the game didn't matter because they're professionals and they have an obligation to the club and to the fans given how the season has gone. And just because there's nothing for them to win, there's no opportunity for them to improve in the seedings, doesn't it mean that it's not games that they want to fight and get results in? And so... Um, I think they come out, I think they show a lot of spirit. I think RSL is still the better team. Pablo Mastroini has owned the Rapids when he has come back to Dick Sporting Goods Park. So give me two one in this one. Uh, I think they said, I think I saw that Chicho Arango is unavailable, so I won't predict the uh, goal scorers for RSL, but give me 
I'll I'll take Calvin Harris set up from set up from Cole Bassett to score the the lone Rapids goal and the final goal of the Rapid season. And hopefully there's no Golosso's mark because uh, listeners, we are once again at halftime of Decision Day. I will be publishing on Burgundy Wave the 2023 Colorado Rapids Independent Press Corps Awards, and so one of those awards is goal of the season. So um, hopefully one a goal of the season for uh, in that game doesn't spoil uh, the halftime reading that we'll be sending out for you. Um, Mark, again, I want to give a shout out to the other two uh, te- professional teams in Colorado. Uh, Switchbacks made the playoffs, but they are the lower seeded team. They are at San Antonio FC, who eliminated them in the playoffs last year. So they'll be going on the road to Toyota Stadium down in um, uh, down in San Antonio. I would I've spoken to a couple of Switchbacks people. Mark, they're not particularly optimistic about that. I think there's a real possibility that switchbacks are one and done. And then Hailstorm are hosting. Uh, they did not get one of the first round buys that they have with the format in USLE one. So they're hosting Ford Madison, who they've been very good against. Uh, interesting kit fashion that we'll see here, Mark. I'm currently wearing the uh, dark blue of the Hailstorm kits that you have, but full Mingo will be out in effect. I think Hailstorm get the result in this one. Trevor Amon's been fantastic. They've been really good defensively going down the stretch, but at some point they're going to have to play probably on the road, either North Carolina or Union Omaha. And though it was a three horse race for the top of the table in USL League One as well. All three of those game listeners are at the exact same time Saturday at 7 p.m. Um, so maybe certainly worth putting your FOT mob um, notifications on and then also maybe, you know, streaming it if you don't want to make a huge dent in your data plan that you have for your phone. I'm not sure what the what the Wi-Fi situation is out in 117. It's decent enough for me in the press box, Mark. All right, Rabbi, let's get out of here. Um, 2023 Endgame is officially come to a close. Uh, so you can follow us collectively on the Bird app uh, at soccer underscore rabbi, at LWS Matt Pollard, and at Rapids96 Podcast. Rate, review, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on pretty much all the ones that you could want. We will be getting on YouTube podcasts with Google podcast shutting down sometime in 2024 um and you can email us uh at rapids 96 podcast at gmail.com for now on the bird app and i assume there's hashtags on the other one send us your questions using the hashtag ask hthl um we'll see you next week to wrap up the season and i don't know mark uh, if it goes well maybe we'll have to turn into a, a switchbacks or a hailstorm podcast next week nice peace